I was also in, in Singapore attending AT Kearney, actually. They have a global CEO retreat. I uh, was talking with you know, 30, 40 CEOs. I mean, they're still very bullish on China. They're still, uh, of course, they have concerns and worries, but, but in the long run, they all want to continue. Uh, you know, we don't want to abandon this biggest uh, middle-class market. And I actually even made a proposal at the Munich Security Conference saying that we should have a, a G3 a summit or G3 uh, ministerial meetings so that European countries, EU, can mediate the relations between China and the U.S. China can help European mediate Ukraine-Russian war, but, but European can help China mediate China-U.S. relations. Since we do not belong to any particular ministry or, or province, we end up so many government departments coming to CCG for advice. Because if you belong to one department, you can only report through that department which limit your policy impact. Whereas CCG has uh, many channels, many ways to report our findings, so we can really uh, get more feedback and really give, provide better policy advisory to different departments of the government. Welcome to the Ginger River Radio Podcast, a part of the GRR Media Outlet, and your go-to podcast for anything about Chinese current events. I'm your host, Jiang Jiang, the founder of Ginger River Review, a newsletter that focuses on reporting the priorities of both the leadership and the general public in China, and views you do not normally see from mainstream English language media. If you haven't subscribed to our newsletter, go to www.gingerriver.com and sign up to join our community of avid China watchers. Now, let's dive into our podcast show today. China optimizes its COVID epidemic prevention and control policies at the end of last year. China's then-Vice Premier Liu He, who is regarded by many China watchers as Beijing's then-top economic advisor, tells double CEOs in January this year that China is back. On March 6, representatives from Iran and Saudi Arabia met in Beijing for discussions brokered by China. On April 26, Chinese President Xi Jinping on Wednesday held phone talks with his Ukrainian counterpart Volodymyr Zelensky since the Russia-Ukraine conflict and said China will send a special representative on Eurasian affairs to visit Ukraine and other countries to conduct in-depth communications with all parties on the political settlement of the crisis. Meanwhile, some Chinese think tanks have been actively engaged in track two diplomacy trips, or back-channel diplomacy, which is the practice of non-governmental, informal, and unofficial contacts and activities between private citizens and groups of individuals, sometimes called non-state actors. Join me to talk about China's post-pandemic diplomacy and track to diplomacy today is Dr. Henry Huiyao Wang, who is the founder and president of the Center for China and Globalization, CCG, a leading non-governmental think tank in Beijing. Wang worked for three years in China's Ministry of Foreign Trade, the predecessor to the Ministry of Commerce, in the 1980s. He then became one of the first group of Chinese nationals to get an MBA degree in North America and later joined the Canadian businesses. He founded CCG in 2008 in his lifelong mission to bridge China and the rest of the world. As his non-governmental think tank gained domestic and international prominence, Wang became Guo Wuyuan Canshi, Counselor to the China's State Council, essentially an advisor to the Chinese government cabinet, 
at the accreditation of the then Premier Li Keqiang. Perhaps the most well-connected and respected intellectual between China and the West, Wang was described by the Economist in October 2022 as a go-between for technocratic government ministries, Chinese entrepreneurs, and foreign embassies in Beijing. Hi, Henry. Wang uh, Welcome to Jinjie River Radio. It's great to meet you here face-to-face -face at CCG's office in Beijing. Th thank you. Yeah, great to meet you too. Yes, thank you. I'm so glad to have you, and uh, I really appreciate you taking time to have this podcast chat with me before your very busy trip. Uh, we know that China's face-to-face -face diplomacy and interaction with the rest of the world resumes. I think maybe after the fourth quarter of last year, especially after China optimized its COVID response. And recently, the CCG has released its 2022 annual report with the first section focusing on breaking the ice in three continents by restarting face-to-face -face meetings and leveraging track to diplomacy. As the president of CCG, you have been actively engaged in track to diplomacy trips and have made many ice-breaking journeys. In your exchanges with foreign governments and think tanks personnel, where do you feel they have the biggest gap in understanding Chinese policies compared to reality? And can you share with us some of the work that you have done to help bridge this cognitive gap, especially considering that the COVID pandemic in the past three years have created some obstacles for cross-cultural communication in the world? Yes, uh, thank you. Thank you for, for talking to me. And uh, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to exchange with you. Uh, I think that uh, it is actually, uh, you know, three years of COVID pandemic is really uh, unprecedented in, in the history, probably in the modern history of mankind. And I'm, I'm very glad that, that uh, just recent days that WHO announced that uh, finally the COVID-19 uh, would not be regarded as a is a massive pandemic. So, uh, so for that, a massive pandemic alert has been lifted. Uh, what, what I think, but however, I think the damage has done, you know, for the last three years, uh, because of China and the outside world, there's no, there's no exchanges, particularly no face-to-face -face exchanges. Uh, no, the border is basically closed off, and uh, very few people can travel and, and come in and out. And uh, so, so that has actually uh, intensified the uh, misunderstanding and mistrust. For example, there's no high-level visit between China and the U.S., China and Europe, and China and many other countries. And, uh, and then we have only uh, uh, you know, microphone democracy, and, uh, and that is really people talking uh, over each other rather than face-to-face -face with each other. So we found that it's really uh, kind of a un uh, very unpleasant situation and uh, unfriendly situation actually occurring with, between China and many other countries, uh, particularly the United States. So actually, Center for China and Globalization as a non-government think tank, we embarked on a kind of a first probably think tank delegation ever uh, during these three years to visit uh, six countries. Uh, what, in, what, what are they? Yeah, six countries. We, we went to, we started with Asia, we went to Singapore, we went to... Uh, United States, we went to, uh, uh, then we went to France, we went to Germany and, uh, and Brussels in Belgium, and then come back to through, uh, South Korea. So basically, it's a, around the world, a global trip uh, across three continents, uh, six countries in 30 days. 
uh, with almost 100 events, meetings, and meet several hundred people in, in the process, attending conferences and uh, talking to different people. Uh, and we found that it's extremely useful, extremely helpful to have these people-to-people exchange and face-to-face meetings. Uh, for example, we, one of the things we're surprised to find that there's a huge interest uh, to want to know what's going on in China, uh, you know, for this pandemic situation. How, how, how does the people cope inside? And, uh, and we tell the stories and uh, share our experiences. And also, on the other hand, we find uh, the perception on China has, has uh, uh, you know, dramatically changed. Uh, the sentiment is also very low, coupled with the uh, uh, Russian-Ukraine war. And there's many uh, uh, different ratings on China's. Uh, one of the biggest uh, uh, misunderstanding, probably, I find, is that uh, they think China has conspired with Russia. Uh, to invade Ukraine, which I, I think is uh, uh, very much overreading into China Russian statement. Uh, when China and, uh, and Russia have this uh, February 4th statement uh, in uh, uh, last year, they would basically say, uh, you know, the cooperation is, is unlimited. Or, or, I mean, we often say that, you know, friendship is boundless, uh, sky's the limit, or, uh, f- uh, you know, friendship is everlasting. So that is saying to any, most countries. Uh, when they have a joint communicate like that, so so I think there's a lot of a uh, you know perception that China is really uh, worked with uh, Russian to 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 invade the uh, Ukraine, which you know I mean China Chinese citizen was the last to pull out of Kiev. If if Chinese would conspire that would knew beforehand, China would probably put out its citizen uh, in the first place. So so there's some you know and different understanding like that. We we have to explain, and the other thing we found was. Uh, to our surprise is that Chinese student was uh, very much still very much wanted in the United States and everywhere. You know, for example, there's 300,000 students registered in the U.S. campus. And anywhere we go, a Chinese student is still very much wanted. So, so that uh, you know, makes me think that you know, we should send more students, uh, welcome more foreign students uh, to come. And, uh, and of course, there's, uh, there's also business concerns whether they should continue to invest in China, should they have a plan B or in the what about Chinese position in Taiwan and uh, uh, and also with neighboring countries? So, so we, we we did a lot of uh, you know explanation and provide uh, think tank analysis assessment. So they found very helpful to to have that. We we met so many think tanks, uh, association chambers, government, and we found this face to face meeting. And also, it's good for us to know what's really thinking in the United States in the. Uh, uh, European countries and, and in Asia, so so it was good learning window for us. I was also in, in Singapore attending AT Kearney. Actually, mm-hmm. they have a global CEO retreat. Uh, we're talking with you know 30, 40 CEOs. I mean, they're still very bullish on China. They are still, uh, of course, they have concerns and worries. But but in the long run, they all want to continue. Uh, you know, they don't want to abandon this biggest uh, middle class market. And one of the things we found is that. Uh, uh, this, they all want to do business with China, but uh, of course, they want some caution. They want some uh, some diversification. But but overall, they still want to uh, work with this biggest market in the world. And uh, and so so we found many many good things. And I think this trip has sent a signal. We we set a good example for for Chinese uh, NGOs, think tanks, you know, Chinese people to come out. And uh, so it was really people receiving us. Oh, China was finally starting to let people out. 
for example, we were in Paris, we were at uh, Lafayette, the biggest uh, department store there, say, oh, you are the first mainlanders we, from China. We've been seeing the last three years. Uh, uh, finally, we see some true may, mainland Chinese coming up. So we s also send a signal. And uh, when we come back, you know, after our coming back, there's more Chinese visits started and think tanks and all the, you know, people-to-people -people exchanges. What time was the six trips you, you made, like, last year? Yeah. In, in which months? We started the, our trip in, in, in late June, like, like June 24, and we finished on July 24, so mm. exactly 30 days, uh, in, uh, in, in which we spent, well, 10 days in the U.S., 10 days in Europe, and another 10 days, 8, 9 days in Asia. So it was uh, uh, extremely helpful. And then we actually went out again in November, uh, we went to Europe again. Uh, we went to Paris, uh, you know, Brussels, Berlin, and uh, and also Singapore. And uh, so we conducted uh, an, another trip to attend uh, a number of conferences. For example, we went to Paris Peace Forum. We went to uh, also a New Economy Forum in Singapore. We went to uh, you know a number of uh, uh, you know in Brussels. We had a meeting with our counterpart, uh, European Policy Center, and. And things like that. So, so it's extremely important that we maintain, you know, this kind of a, you know, people to people and think tank to think tank exchanges, uh, so that uh, we can clarify things. We can, you know, find out what what went wrong, and also we feedback our findings and to the different departments, uh, government, and then to advise them, you know, what should be the proper policy that is more productive, engaging our different international affairs. So, so I think this kind of a mission is very helpful. And also we re renewed our old acquaintance and, of course, made new friends. And then we invite many of them coming back. Uh, so, so we find that uh, at the same time level, it's very useful. Yeah. yeah, I think we can say that you actually are the pioneers of the people who, like, opened the bridge at, at an early time, comparatively speaking, almost like the first half of last year. Then some other people, they followed your suit and they went there and there are more and more interactions and yeah. you you also mentioned that uh, actually you are not just go there you also bring some feedback back mm -hmm. which is actually constructive to mm -hmm. the policy so actually my next question is that because i noticed that the ccg annual report said that in 2022 ccg submitted 67 policy recommendations 11 research reports and 14 insider reports conducted 21 exchanges with government agencies and participated in over 20 closed-door meetings on policy recommendations. And these recommendations were related to issues such as the Russia-Ukraine conflict, the COVID response policy, and China-U.S. relations. So um, you touched a little bit on that just now. And if possible, could you share with us some of the uh, like concrete roles or mm -hmm. concrete efforts that non-governmental think tanks such as CCG played in this China's decision-making system. Yeah. Uh, no, before uh, coming to that, I'll just add, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the time when we went out last year mm. uh, was extremely, uh, one of the things that uh, when a lot of Chinese went out, there was uh, people still f very fearful of the COVID. You know, they were, for example, everywhere you go in China, you know, is you have to do PCR tests, you have to... You know, yeah wear your mask and it's very uh, a tight situation and then one of the things we i remember is that you have to go through all the troubles to to get quarantine when you come back there are I many closed loop management that's in right. lots of and cities uh, in china exactly and uh, and then uh, we 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 is particularly also with the date you know we we went on in june that was just shanghai uh, uh yeah 
you know, uh, resumed, re resumed the, some content. Yeah, yeah. It was after two months of shutdown in Shanghai. It was, had a huge impact. And then that, that is also before Beijing starting to really getting some outs, outbreaks like that. And, and uh, so it, it is very, uh, you know, very uh, tense moment, very uh, worrisome moment and very risky moment for many people. Say, how dare you? You can, you can still can travel to, to different parts of the world. And, and also uh, China-U.S. relation was also very tense. And of course, uh, 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 and also COVID is, uh, we, we never knowing what's going on outside. So we, there, there has to have some risk taken <laughs> to really embark that trip. And uh, so that was, uh, was very, very memorable and a very uh, unforgettable experience. Uh, now, coming back to your question about, uh, you know, uh, during last year, uh, the activities, policy briefings, uh, uh, activities we conducted, I can give you a few examples. Uh, just talk about COVID-19, for example. We actually, uh, at the uh, you know, end of April and beginning of May, when the Shanghai COVID-19 uh, you know, situation getting out of control and then local shutdown starting to happen, CCG organized an indoor uh, brief meeting. We invited the, um, you know, uh, Gao Fu, you know, he's the director of China, uh, CDC director for the, you know, Minister of Health uh, that looks at, you know, central control, disease control center, right? And, uh, and then we had invited the, the bureau chief of uh, World Bank in China. Uh, he, he now is the vice president of the World Bank. And then we invited the former WHO chief representative in China. He, he, he was a, a German health official with the German embassy. And then the World Bank also invited the, their two experts. One is from New Zealand, uh, look after you know, all the recovery experience of New Zealand, Singapore. Uh, and then there's another one from Australia, I remember. So basically at that time, we, we talk about how can we avoid the uh, this kind of a COVID situation uh, to, to really uh, make a better policy on that. So, so after internal consultation, the, the recommendation that we have is that we should probably uh, vaccine people as soon as we can, particularly the senior people. Uh, we should uh, also, uh, you know, uh, not really use so much uh, investment on building a temporary hospital, but use that investment to build up the intensive ICU beds and, uh, and infrastructure of the of the hospital to have more beds in the, in the form to, to really cope with these uh, serious cases. And then we have another recommendation is that maybe we should import vaccination to, to have a mixed uh, vaccine for, for different people so that we can have better, uh, you know, results to fight COVID. For example, you know, example like that, we have internal policy uh, recommendations we send to different departments. Uh, that's one example. The other example is that we actually, during our, you know, also in the middle of the year, we had about... Uh, you know, 20 ambassadors we invited to come to CCG office. We had an ambassador roundtable. And all the ambassadors talk about, you know, how policy has impacted them, you know, uh, this COVID policy. For example, the Swiss ambassador said, look, I mean, he, he's still issuing several thousand, uh, you know, 2,000 Chinese visas uh, to visit, uh, you know, Switzerland, student visa, for example. But then there's only 100 Swiss left in China. So he was saying, look, I mean, so this is really bad for exchanges. And the many, many ambassadors actually always share the same uh, story. And then I think about 10 days after that, you know, after our roundtable, uh, we actually also made an internal uh, uh, report on, on, you know, collecting all the ambassadors. That opinion. was in May? Or? That was, I think it was in May, probably mm -hmm. in May. Mm -hmm. And uh, May or June, I forgot, but it's the mid-year. But then after that, China cut down its quarantine from 
I forgot, it's 21 days or to, 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 to 14 days, 14. Mm -hmm. or probably to 10 days. So, so you see, uh, it, it does make a lot of differences. And, uh, and one of the biggest, uh, uh, I think, uh, policy impact is that we've been really uh, exemplified by our own actions, that we went to those countries, six countries, uh, we, we, we published uh, uh, hundreds of articles, uh, papers and, uh, and and all those things. I even wrote an op-ed in the Financial Times. I said zero COVID policy will impact China's global talent movement. Uh, op-ed that uh, suggests China should open as soon as we can. And uh, uh, so all those activities actually had a very positive feedback. Uh, I think we, we talked to different ministries. They they actually re starting to gradually relaxing uh, uh, travel. You know, encouraging universities, scholars, think tanks. Um, you know other different companies, we encourage them to, to go abroad and uh, have more exchanges. So, so, so we, we take the lead and example to do that, and that really helped a more positive uh, uh, reflection of the situation, and then there's more uh, positive policy has been made to encourage more people-to-people -people exchanges. For example, student exchange also. Uh, we were making a lot of recommendations to the government. So Chinese government, uh, you know, U.S. embassy, French embassy, every embassy starting to relax. Uh, foreign student visa to China, or, or let them return to China. Uh, for example, we met the embassy in the United Chinese embassy in the United States, Ambassador Chin, and we met the Chinese ambassador in, in, in France, Ambassador Lu. They also tell me that they are having more uh, measures taken to, uh, you know, put back more uh, uh, foreign students coming back to China. So, so you know, things like that. We've been really become a messenger. We really promoting and. Uh, uh, expediting and, and reflecting the situation. So, so we find that very unique role that we're trying to bridge and trying to uh, promote the exchanges. Yeah, I, I think all those like, efforts are very impressive and very helpful. And actually, I'm glad to see that uh, the Chinese decision-making system is actually can, be, can incorporate different ideas, different suggestions, took like, advices from different organizations and to make like, a comprehensive decision because it's important to know the whole situation. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, we also, we just mentioned that the leaders of China and the Ukraine recently had their first conversation after more than a year since the outbreak of Russia-Ukraine conflict. CCG and the City Press co-host a launch event for the new book of Harvard professor Joseph Nye, father of soft power, titled Soft Power and Great Power Competition, Shifting Sands in the Balance of Power Between the United States and China. And in nice speech, uh, the professor said that China's efforts to promote peace talks are widely welcomed. So how do you evaluate the interaction and communication between the leaders of China and Ukraine? And what are your expectations and evaluations for China's potential role in helping solve the Russia-Ukraine conflict? Yeah, this is very interesting. Actually, uh, you know, uh, as a think tank, you know, CCG pays a huge attention to this uh, uh, Russian-Ukraine war situation. Uh, as a matter of fact, when the war just broke out uh, last year in f uh, late February, I, I published an op-ed in the New York Times uh, at the beginning of March to call for more mediation from China to, to really help to, to broker peace for this, uh, this crisis. And uh, I'm very glad. I mean, uh, exactly one year late, China you know, launched this uh, peace proposal, which is uh, a 12-point position paper, to call for more peace and, and mediation. And uh, so what I see is that uh, that's exactly also one of the points when we went out, visiting different countries, people very often ask that. 
So I would say, you know, China has a unique role. China has uh, is the only, uh, you know, second largest country, only the big country, not directly involved in this conflict. You know, you have uh, you have Russia on one side and uh, Ukraine on the other side, but behind Ukraine you have NATO, you have West countries. So in fact, Russia is fighting the whole West countries, and China is only third party, not really significant enough, not involved. And so that provides China a unique opportunity to, to, to mediate, to, to talk. And I'm extremely happy that President Xi uh, called uh, uh, President Zelensky just, just recently. And, and also, of course, China, President Xi has maintained uh, his, his dialogue with President Putin. So, so that's positioned China in a unique position uh, to really uh, you know, break, uh, to make this peace together. And uh, uh, what I think is actually uh, things can, can be really going forward is that I, I proposed in my um, last year uh, March uh, op-ed at New York Times, which I'm calling for seven-party talks. China used to have a lot of experience to run six-party talks on the, on the nuclear uh, proliferation of North Korea. And uh, so, so I think that if we can have a seven-party, which means permanent five-member countries of the United Nations, uh, plus Ukraine, plus EU, that's seven parties. And the seven parties, we should have a, have a, have a UN you know, peace summit inviting the seven heads of probably those countries to come to UN, and let's really talk about how we can, you know, uh, make a peace on the, uh, on the issue. So, so I think we have internally given the advice to, to the government uh, many times and uh, have roundtables talking. Uh, so I think China's position is very clear. You know, China, first of all, respects Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity. Number one, that's very important. Number two, China, um, you know, against using nuclear weapons on this war, you know, or, or destroy nuclear power plants or, or chemical weapons. That's really limited that to a very, you know, a conventional war, so that we don't have a, suffer huge uh, uh, casualties by by triggering a nuclear war on that. Thirdly, is China firmly against bombarding, you know, destroy of shooting the civilians or, or women or children, you know. There should be no target of, of those civilians as a target. So those very strong statement, basically very strong statement. I think all, you know really apply to this war, to, to living this war to a very conventional basic war, and and then so that we can easily solve that. And uh, and then uh, what I think China has made very clear is that uh, you know the uh, would like to see promoting the peace and and try to mediate. So 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 I think that uh, we also see the French president uh, Macron uh, came just uh, just not too long ago. We actually also talked to different uh, uh, international representatives uh, to to also express uh, uh, Chinese think tanks views. For example, we received foreign delegations, uh, different embassy visits, ambassador visits very often. Actually, the Mr. Borrell, the uh, uh, high commissioner of uh, of uh, high representative of European Foreign Affairs. And vice chairman of European Affairs actually scheduled a, a, a speech at the CCG. Also, uh, but because of COVID, he said he he, he published his speech, which that he couldn't deliver at the CCG. So, so I think you know you can see uh, CCG as a think tank, uh, not only talking to the Chinese government, but also talking to the foreign uh, government representative and trying to make a peace. And and we actually received the before there's no ambassador of Ukraine in China. So Charles Affair of, of Ukrainian embassy in Beijing paid a visit to, to CCG. And she said, look, there's, there's not many Chinese organization wants to see us or really warmly receive us. CCG is the only think tank. They actually find that the, not only seeing them, but... Is also, a visit before the phone call? 
is physically before the phone call. Actually, he said uh, they found the situation in China is uh, uh, a little bit. Uh, people are sensitive. People are uh, sometimes shied away from the meeting proposals. So they they will very much appreciate that uh, CCG is willing to host them, to meet them, and we take photos, we publish news. It was really, uh, and we discussed many issues. Of course, uh, you know. Ukrainian also felt, of course,、uh, it's not the status quo that we stop、uh, peace deal there. We have to have a plan, action plan, as to what what can be done. You know, he, they were asking CCG,、uh, you know, what, what are the recommendations? I mean, we actually, you know, say, look, you have to, you know, you really have to talk. Of course, we're not saying to recognize status quo, but you have to talk. But for example. Uh, whether you know some of the territory like Crimea, Russia and Israel have should maybe be neutral and uh, and also Donbas and you know other areas that Russian、uh, occupied could be neutral on the Ukraine side and maybe give back to the Ukrainian. So there's many things can be done, or maybe sanction can be lifted, or, or, or China can participate in the reconstruction of the Ukraine、uh, with other countries, AIB and World Bank can work things out. And、uh, so the territory issue, they can really give and take, and then they can find some middle ground if possible, or maybe、uh, have some or declare、uh, neutrality, and、uh, also whether NATO is going to recruit、uh, Ukraine or not, or, or Ukrainians are applying for that. So there's many issues can be discussed beforehand and form some kind of consensus before you know. We have this peace summit and have a you know, and we can make that in New York, in Geneva, in Paris, in Beijing.、Uh, you know, China can play active role, just like China has broke the deal、uh, for Iranian and Saudis, right?、Um, also recently. So, so I think there's a、uh, if the parties of the conflict of both sides come into the table, but China is sitting at the table. I mean, I'm sure they will say, okay, we 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 have to give face to China. We have to really、uh, reach some compromise. We have to give and take. We have to really、uh, calm down. Uh, we we can't just have the status quo. We need to, you know, make a, a understanding and 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 solving this、uh, crisis. So 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 I think the Chinese role is enormous, and you can see CCG is really playing a great role in terms of uh, uh, bridging this uh, gap, uh, at least on, on the think tank community. Yeah, I I think the seven parties initiative. I think that would be great if they can, you know, sit down together, you know, talk with each other. And、uh, you mentioned about like EU is also an important. Um, part of this whole negotiation, and、uh, actually, my next question is about. It's going to ask. You know, we know that the China-Europe relations are another important international relations. You mentioned that Joseph Borrell, the high representative、mm-hmm. of the、yeah. European Union for Foreign Affairs and Security Policy, and the vice president of the European Commission, he was originally scheduled to come to give a speech, but he, because he, he was sick, he he got tested tested positive for COVID, and he published. His speech instead, and、uh, he said in the in the speech he said we do not fear China's rise.、Uh, so, what do you think is the most pressing issue in current China-Europe relations? Is the Russia-Ukraine conflict the most pressing issue? And do you think there is still a possibility for the EU-China Comprehensive Agreement on Investment, the CAI, to be restored? Yes, I, I think there's a, there's a huge uh, uh, room of improvement now. Uh, for uh, China-EU relations, because、uh, first of all, we had this COVID、uh, situation lifted. You know, lock China opened up.、Uh, uh, you know, since beginning of this year, and actually since last year,、uh, when even at,、uh, before opened up,、uh, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz came to Beijing 
with a, a 10 hours visit. That, that is really an ice-breaking visit because uh, at that time, Germany is still the chair of G7 countries, uh, one of the major countries in the EU, and then that is very, very uh, uh, important uh, big visit. And then since then, we had a parade of a number of European leaders come. We had uh, uh, Spanish prime minister, we had the uh, French president, we had the uh, European uh, president and, and chairmen, and also we have uh, Italian prime minister coming. So, so, so there's, there's many European leaders have come to China, uh, particularly Germany and France. So what I think that China-EU relation can be, you know, after those consultations, discussions, they find that, of course, ideologically, uh, you know, maybe value-wise and uh, uh, they, they, they lean towards more U.S., maybe for the security for, for some extent. But economically, business and the future potential cooperation, uh, they, they have to you know, uh, work with China because that's where the future market is. And that's a half a billion middle class market that uh, no European companies would neglect. And as many European companies are already doing more business in China than in their own countries, or even more than they are in Europe. For example, a number of automakers sells more cars in China than, than their own countries. So, so exactly, they are, they are different. They, they haven't gone as far as U.S. position, I, I would say. But I was really proposing, I think it was also well uh, received in many think tanks in, in, in Europe, is that this, we should really follow this G3 concept. Of course, there's many other important countries. But in general, the three largest economies in the world is the U.S., China, and EU. So basically, if we think that we have a G3, which means that European is not, uh, it's not a China versus West, or, or, or West versus rest, is because uh, you know, each continent has its uniqueness. For example, European has a thousands of his, history, is, uh, has no bordering, bordering issue with China, you know, has a friendly relation with China, and we can always compare to improve. There's also no, no European countries is fighting for number one, number two seats uh, in terms of uh, dominance that the uh, U.S. fears that maybe it's not losing to China, uh, which China doesn't think China uh, is, is going to dominate the, the world. So, so I think in that sense, if this G3 concept, if there's more strategic autonomy European uh, countries to practice, that will really help uh, uh, to steer European a better position. So basically, they can get a best of the two worlds between China and the U.S. And I actually even made a proposal at the Munich Security Conference saying that we should have a, a G3 a summit or G3 uh, ministerial meetings so that European countries, EU, can mediate the relations between China and the U.S. China can help European mediate Ukraine-Russian war, but, but European can help China mediate China-U.S. relations. So there's need on both sides. And, uh, and that, so they're different. Europe is not American. America is not the U.S. So... Uh, and uh, uh, European is not China, and China is not European either. So I think this is really great to have this tri- trilateral relation, uh, to have to, which is more stable, rather than bilateral confrontation uh, between China and the West. So I think European country has made a huge, uh, you know, contribution in terms of diversify, in terms of a stabilized. Uh, a world uh, uh, political situation and geopolitical situation. So I think it's very significant Chancellor Sh- uh, Sh- Schultz and President Macron's visit and uh, also uh, Spanish Prime Minister's visit to China has set a tune for this uh, uh, European uh, uh, autonomy and doesn't want to fall 100% on the U.S. For, the, for many of the issues. 
and also wants to maintain its own autonomy in doing business with China. So that I think this is great for future to develop on China-European relations. As far as the CHI is concerned, you know, comprehensive agreement on investment, I, I think it's really unfortunate to see that uh, uh, being shelved. But I think now, uh, uh, you know, Chinese ambassador to European country has said, you know, China can lift this sanction. You know, China probably sanctioned a bit heavily, but China can lift that and, uh, and, and see if European can also lift that too. Or they have a better proposal to make. And I think also, you know, China also mentioned they welcome uh, European ambassadors, journalists, or businessmen to visit Xinjiang, you know. And that's where all the sanction comes from. So, so I think you know, things can be probably improved uh, with more dialogue exchanges and, uh, and also importantly that uh, this uh, uh, sanction can be lifted and uh, then I think CHI can be really finalized. Because CHI actually, this comprehensive uh, agreement on investment, uh, using the former uh, European ambassador Nicholas Sharpie, he told me in my office that uh, this is the second China opening up. China has given more uh, you know, to European countries that China has not given to the United States. And uh, uh, so European companies will benefit hugely and, uh, uh, you know, for their market expansion in China. And many issues that European companies complain about, this uh, new uh, investment agreement will take care of that. So I think it's really important that we re- uh, revive that and, and also important that uh, uh, we should uh, uh, you know, have these parliament members of European countries which has blocking this deal, welcome to visit China. You know, welcome them to visit. And also by 2024, they're going to have a new European parliament. And probably by then, we will see more exchanges, more, more understanding and more cooperation. And then this still eventually can be passed uh, through the uh, parliament, and then China certainly would love to see uh, this new agreement uh, taking effect and make the you know, bilateral business relation, uh, investment situation even better improved for the future. Yeah, I do believe that you know, China and Europe relations has lots of potential, and the CHI just you can benefit both sides a lot. And uh, now let's move on to the topic of China-U.S. relations. The U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, had planned to visit China earlier this year, but the visit was postponed due to the balloon incident, which is, well, somehow affected China-U.S. relations, maybe. And in, in an article recently published by CCG, you mentioned that the U.S. Congress has probably never played a greater role in U.S.-China relations. Since the 118th U.S. Congress took office in January, lawmakers have proposed a series of long bills related to China, and they met with Tsai Ing-wen in the U.S. and Taiwan. Uh, they questioned the CEO of TikTok and established new special committees and labeled the ruling party of China as a survival threat to the U.S. Uh, so what is the current level of contact between China and U.S. Congress, according to your knowledge? And what does China lack of in terms of having a good interaction with the U.S. Congress? Or is there anything that you think China can do to improve its relation with the U.S. Congress? Yes, absolutely. I, I think it can. You know, I, I, I published this up at last month at uh, South China Morning Post, which I'm calling for more U.S. congressmen and senators to visit China. I actually had a dialogue with, uh, 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 you know, former uh, U.S. representative in Taiwan, Douglas Paul, and the former assistant secretary of the uh, State Department, Susan Sontem. And during, during the uh, dialogue, I was calling to invite, uh, uh, you know, Speaker Kevin McCarthy to visit 
China mainland because at that time there was rumor that he he's going to visit Taiwan. I said, why not visit China's mainland? And uh, so 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 I think that that proposal, you know, further I actually wrote an op-ed to, to to further promote that. I think extremely important. Even during the difficult time in the past, uh, there was always congressman, senator visit China and. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, even during the non-diplomatic times, we had the Nixon, you know, su- such a strong anti-communist, uh, uh, you know, uh, figure uh, visit China also. So, and uh, I see the situation is getting a little uh, imbalanced. For example, you have almost 40 congressmen, senators visit Taiwan, you know, <laughs> but, but no single one visit China, mainland. So, so that's, that's really un- unusual and uh, unnecessary. And uh, you're right, you know, uh, so since they don't, ha- they don't, they don't come, and then... They still live in a kind of a fears or hype that uh, you know they think China uh, is uh, really uh, going to be dominant, going to be you know really, or uh, China is collapsing or China is uh, is uh, is doing very bad. So that's to simplify, you know. I mean, or this binary autocracy versus democracy. I think the problem between China and the U.S. on some of those is that uh, you know the U.S. is practicing this view of a. Uh, democracy versus autocracy. Since Taiwan is a democracy, then we have to defend it, we have to, you know, uh, support it, we have to really uh, work together against uh, autocracy. So, but then they've abandoned the three communique that uh, they have established with China through the five presidents before, uh, that uh, there's only one China, uh, U.S. recognized Taiwan is part of China, and U.S. doesn't want to maintain official ties. So those are really fundamental, basically. And that's the prerequisite for China to establish diplomatic ties with 181 countries. So it's very important that I think we, we keep this uh, status quo and, and this, uh, this tradition that we had. And so that's why it's important to have more uh, U.S. Uh, congressmen to visit China. And, uh, 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 but, but China, on the other hand, has, uh, even though we are not totally as, as have a, the, you know, American system or Western system, but the system works in China, you know, fine. You know, we have lifted 800 million people out of poverty. We have actually uh, contributed over one third of the GDP growth for the last 10 years, 20 years. Uh, China has actually also become the second largest donor to the United Nations and the many international organizations. China actually also built two thirds of global speed railway. Uh, you know, uh, very very developed now and uh, and very stable, prosperous. Which is good for the world uh, trade and become the large, largest trading nation with 130, 40 countries. So if this system works well in China, and uh, and we shouldn't really make that a, a, a binary world as only your style or there's non style or oh, my way or no way, you know. So so I think if if U.S. can think like that, uh, I tolerate a little bit different system rather than view anything uh, different than theirs is, is autocracy. And then, so probably they were not really so push, so supportive of Taiwan. And then they would really a bit by their commitment that uh, uh, Taiwan is part of China and, uh, and should maintain no official ties. So they're not supposed to provoke in China, you know, by sending all high-level visits, even Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit. And, and then China has to uh, protest, has to you know provoke China to do some military exercise of flying across midline and things like that. So. So it's a chicken ad, you know, if, if there's more doing of that, and then there's more visit, there's more visit, there's more exercise. So, and then even U.S. now conducted a large exercise with, with uh, Australia and Philippines recently. I mean, that's really 
making things worse. So I think you, we, fundamentally we have to, like Joseph and I or uh, Graham Allison told me, that we have to have a cooperative, you know, uh, uh, competition or cooperative rivalry. We, ha- we, we recognize there's competition, but we have to cooperate. But that's not really uh, 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 talking more competition, rivalry, really, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy, we may get into a hot war. So, so I think particularly on this Taiwan issue is very sensitive, is, is, is core interest of China, and, uh, and that we should not really intensify by having so many high-level visits and China should also come down to re- responding in this uh, in, in military exercise. But, but I think that uh, you know, if we can maintain status quo, a peaceful reunification is there because there are already two million Taiwanese living in the mainland. There are several hundred thousand husbands and wives living in Taiwan, married with Chinese mainlanders, and of course thousands of student exchanges. Taiwan enjoying largest trade surplus with China, and uh, they share the same language, culture, heritage. Uh, tradition. Uh, uh, eventually, they're going to be, you know, inter- integrated through economic integration. So, so I, I think that peaceful reunification is still the priority of Chinese government, and uh, only the separatist independence that uh, uh, you know those extreme cases that China has to take uh, some measure and the foreign uh, heavy influence. But other than that, you know, I'm sure the, uh, the Chinese across the street will eventually work out among themselves. A good example about recent Ma Yinju visit mainland has been welcomed everywhere, and a lot of goodwill has been built. So I'm sure if we keep that momentum, the two sides across Taiwan Street will eventually work together. Yeah, uh, obviously uh, Taiwan is the core interest of China and China-US relations. And uh, on the other hand, there are also many other issues. And uh, I noticed that you also attach great importance to the issue of data security. And uh, I, I believe many people have watched the the social uh, the TikTok the mm-hmm. CEO of TikTok. Mm-hmm. He you know he was questioned by by the U.S. Congress. And uh, in your article in South China Morning Post, you said that U.S. concerns about China's data security should be addressed, but not with a TikTok ban. And mm-hmm. in another piece in Global Times, you pointed out that some Western media are hyping up the potential challenges that Chinese cars may pose to U.S. national data security which shows ignorance of China's global initiative on data security proposed more than two years ago. So nowadays, we know that the Chinese electric vehicle industry is developing very fast, both domestically and overseas. Do you think Chinese cars, especially the electric vehicle companies, will eventually face some similar or the same level of Western pressure or even a ban as the TikTok and Huawei faced? Is there a way that to, to avoid this outcome and uh, like maybe benefit both sides. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's many ways to, to, to improve that. I think there's, a, you know, this situation is really getting uh, uh, worse and worse is because there's lacking of trust. I think there's a lot of mistrust there. And then there's a lot of uh, hype and, uh, and suspicious on, on both sides. And uh, a good example is, uh, is uh, Huawei. I mean, you know, uh, I was at a Munich security conference uh, last February, and they were saying, look, I mean, the antenna for the television broadcasting was, was made, made by Huawei, and it must be, uh, have some surveillance or spy uh, type of uh, uh, functions. But I was really thinking, look, I mean, there are so many things made in China. I mean, for example, 95% of Apple phone, iPads, and uh, all those gadgets were made in China. And I used throughout the world. I mean, if you talk about iPhone, so so sophisticated, 
it, it is 100% made in China, and nobody talk about uh, you know, those phones or, or computers made in China has any security issue. Uh, only Huawei and China has some problem. So uh, I think we need to really get rid of this uh, mistrust. But of course, I, mean, I understand uh, um, there, there are some treaties like in China which stipulate some courses made of foreign companies worry or foreign government uh, more alert. But also China, Chinese government, for example, on the data flow, China has been really uh, gradually more open. For example, you mentioned about two years ago, China Ministry of Foreign Affairs uh, made a very strong statement saying that all the Chinese company operates overseas has no obligation to turn, in, turn, turn back any data, any, any information they have. It's not allowed. Chinese government would not allow that. Uh, it's an open statement by Minister of Foreign Affairs. Uh, so you can't just, oh, there's one article in such a certain uh, document, uh, legal uh, document said this. Uh, you have to see really overall picture. So, so I think in that case, uh, China is really committed not to interfere in you know, companies' activities uh, internationally, and there's there's no need for them to turn back any material data, whatever. Uh, so this is uh, formally uh, announced by the Minister of Foreign Affairs and State at that time, State Councilor Wang Yi, now the Party Bureau Chief, uh, Political Bureau Chief member, uh, uh, highest di- foreign diplomat in China, and. Uh, also, what I what I think is the uh, not only that China is also looking for a way to address that. For example, uh, uh, China not only joined RCEP, but China also applying to join CPTPP, which there's a huge uh, number of course articles on, on data flow uh, that you have to open to join that. Uh, so China has a lot of a mentality and uh, conceptual ex- uh, uh, transition and changes. For example, maybe 10 years ago, China think, oh, everything on data is, 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 it should be closed, it should be more keeping your box. And then, very sensitive. Uh, very well. sensitive also. Yeah. But now you find that data is the 21st century petroleum. You have to let it flow in order to make wealth. And uh, China is the second largest digital economy in the world, and China has the largest digital application seen in the world. And out of the, those uh, digital infrastructure, for example, 4G, 5G stations, China has 6 million of them throughout the country, very advanced uh, in terms of digital infrastructure. Uh, so so you generate a huge amount of data daily with 1.4 billion people. You have to use it. You have to really make, divide, make that uh, beneficial to the mankind, uh, to the world. And of course, we have to keep you know, uh, privacy and identity uh, uh, safe. But other than that, you know, those data should be contributing to the, to the next boom of global globalization. And uh, so China is also applying to join DIPA, uh, a digital partnership agreement proposed by New Zealand, S- Singapore, and Chile. So China is actually looking for joining CPTPP and DIPA as a, as a way to upgrade their digital policy, data flow policy. And, and President Xi announced that China wants to join those things. I think that international community should really, we all work together. U.S., EU, and ASEAN, maybe you know Australia, Japan, Canada. Let's let's all work together. WTO, for example. So, so so I think that uh, China also lead the e-commerce discussion at the WTO. So so I think that uh, uh, it's not that China wants to hack your data or or, or maybe uh, uh, don't let the uh, data flow. They want it, but maybe there's a lack of communication exchanges and international agreement how to do it. I think it used to be, uh, you know, U.S. is leading that, 
Now, U.S. is not leading that, and uh, uh, so maybe we should, that's why I'm saying G3, you know, China, EU, U, and the U.S. should all come together and talk about that. And then, and then particularly, uh, my, one of the advice is, why not U.S. coming back to CPTPP? China is, wants to join CPTPP, and let's conduct negotiations on the CPTPP platform. U.K. has just joined the CPTPP, so we make a mini, WTO, mini digital WTO, on CPTPP, and then get all the data flow, security, privacy issues resolved with new high 21st century new standards so that every country can benefit and so we do not have so many uh, security lines. Let's do more economic globalization, more economic alliance, rather than we have all those AUKUS or, or CRAD and all those security, uh, which I think is not really helpful. Yeah, definitely. You know, data is definitely growing more and more important in the world. and. Uh, China has actually established its National Data Bureau according to a plan released during the just concluded two sessions a month ago. And uh, we also know that, you know, because uh, what you have just introduced, lots of things are related to your like the personal experience, your face-to-face -face communications with all these uh, Western or uh, international scholars and think tanks. So according, uh, well, in your opinion, what are the differences between Chinese and foreign think tanks? And what are the main opportunities and challenges faced by Chinese think tanks focusing on international issues? Yeah, no, no that's a good question. Uh, certainly the f international think tank, you know, especially American think tank uh, and some European think tank have a very long history. You know, they probably have over 100 years history. If you think about, you know, first think tanks, over 100 years already. You know, things like bookings, uh, like, uh, you know, CSIs or, Ch or Chatham House, you know, they all have a very long history. And, uh, mm, but I think that uh, China also is uh, having a, a think tank boom too because uh, the hardware has been built up there. You know, infrastructure is all in place now. The soft power, like Joseph Nye was telling me last week you know, during our dialogue, is that, you know, we need more refreshment of, uh, of, of the soft power. And think tank is a key component of this soft power and for, for rich consensus, to setting agenda and making proposals, making an advisory uh, policy, shaping and, and all those things. So I think China now has, uh, according to the University of Pennsylvania, Global Think Tank Index. Uh, you know, there's almost 2,000 think tanks in the United States. There's about 1,400 in China. But I think the problem for Chinese think tanks is still there's largely uh, run by government or through the supported by government. I think China needs more think tank like the CCG, like uh, Center for China Globalization. For example, our think tank is a, is a non-government think tank. We are really supported by the companies, by the business, and by the uh, you know our, our publications, our events, uh, sponsorship, just like a U.S. think tank or European think tank. So we should have more diversified think tank of that. One of the things that uh, China is lacking is that I think Chinese entrepreneur and Chinese uh, corporate world, you know, they are getting used to support some uh, poverty alleviation. They are not thinking about how to maybe help on the, on the policy, research poverty alleviation, you know, because, because they are getting used to donate to the, to the rural uh, school and then build up a, a new hope school in the, in the countryside. But that's fine. You know, you build up a new countryside uh, school, solve several hundred students or pupils' uh, uh, study. But if you're really supporting a policy research for education, that can benefit thousands or millions of students. So I think there is still a, no, not yet a tradition like Western countries, uh, like U.S. and Europe, 
that entrepreneurs and the business like to, to donate to, the, to think tank. Like Booking was an entrepreneur. Bookings. I mean, he donated the Bookings Institute that become a famous think tank. Carnegie is a, it's an entrepreneur. He donated the Carnegie uh, think tank. You know? So, so I, I, I don't think there's a, a think tank in China that, that named an entrepreneur. So I think we need to really revive that, that, that spirit uh, to support more think tank development in China. Uh, that's why CCG is unique, because we have 200 corporate members, uh, you know, corporate and indi individual members. We have 100 events in China. We got a lot of sponsorship for uh, events. So that's, that gives us uh, autonomy to setting the agenda, and uh, uh, no donor uh, can exceed in 10%. So our, our editorial autonomy is, is maintained, and so we can really, you know, getting our own agenda. We don't need any... Uh, really consult so many people so we can make quick decisions, uh, make it uh, really efficient. And, uh, and I think, so the difference between China, U.S., and European think tanks, I think European, American think tanks, many are self-funded and they're, you know, funded by society and business community. Some European think tanks are also funded by government. For example, Germany, there's many political parties. Each political party has a foundation to support their think tanks too. So, uh, there's a little different, and uh, and also uh, Chinese think tanks are largely, many of them are funded by government, and then you have really uh, uh, some ex exceptions like CCG. So we should have more CCG type of think tank in China. We we have some now, but we, I think we should have more. I mean, of course, we we have a good relation with uh, the government. We have a, we have, since we do not belong to any particular ministry or, or province. We end up so many government departments coming to CCG for advice because if you belong to one department, you can only report through that department, which limits your policy impact. Whereas CCG has uh, many channels, many ways to report our findings, so we can really uh, get more feedbacks and really give providing better policy advisory to different departments of the government. So, so I think in that sense, I think we should have more uh, uh, non-government think tank or non-profit think tank that, like, like CCG in China. So that is really good for China to build up its soft power. Yeah, a, a follow-up question would be, uh, you know, you mentioned that there are like 200 corporations cooperating with CCG, right? And I noticed that some senior entrepreneurs such as Cao De Wang, mm -hmm. chairman of Fuyao Group, one of the largest glass manufacturers in the world, and uh, Liang Jianzhang, one of the co-founders and executive chairman of the board of Trip.com. So they are both of them are the senior vice president of CCG. How do you view the help from the Chinese entrepreneurs for the development of CCG and Chinese think tank industry in general? You, you, you mentioned a little bit on that. Are there any insights and valuable ideas that you find particularly refreshing or valuable in your interaction with all these like great entrepreneurs? Yeah, no, absolutely. We have many. We have many people like that. You know, they are senior vice chair uh, of the think tank of, uh, of CCG. For example, Mr. Chao De Wang is a very famous uh, Chinese entrepreneur. He's a, he's a big donor to our think tank also. He has a five uh, factory in the United States. Yeah. He has, uh, you know, another four or five in the Europe and, and other countries. And many, uh, uh, you know, he's an auto glass uh, king. I mean, he uh, occupies almost 40, 50 of the global market. I mean, he knows international. That's why he supports the international think tank. He, he, you know, what CG is doing between China and the United States on, on the friendly exchanges with China and Europe on the friendly exchanges. I mean, his, his company benefited in this globalization and the global market. And then that's why he, he supports. And then another example is uh, this, uh, James uh, Leong. He's the founder of uh, Trips.com, 
which is also the largest uh, uh, online uh, travel company in the world. And he's also a scholar. He got a PhD from uh, Stanford. Uh, you know, very much enjoying the CCG work. And we do a lot of things together. For example, we all call for open uh, travel, we, we, you know, the green car and less restriction on visas, uh, simplified visa applications. We actually uh, also, uh, uh, he supported our some studies on, on foreigners traveling to China. And we find that uh, the foreigners traveling to China has declined uh, uh, since last decade, and, <laughs> which is unusual. China is booming and all the infrastructure, traffic and, uh, and transportation are all uh, b best ever. How come the, 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 the people travel has declined? So we found out the reason for that, and we, we issued the report, uh, we, we, we announced to the world, and we encouraged government to make measures to, to, to correct that. So, so you can see, you know, even some of those uh, uh, entrepreneurs who support us is really appreciate the CCG uh, can do public good, can really find out the, the things that, uh, uh, you know, imp impact the Chinese uh, globalization development. Uh, can really lift some of those barriers and, and CCG can uh, really do better. And uh, particularly, you know, during the COVID, we, we had the three times uh, visit outside China while China still under COVID control. That was really appreciated by many people in China. They were saying, you send a signal, you had ambassadors, you had the ice speakers, uh, you, 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 you were the first group of Chinese uh, there to go out and, uh, and engage the world and welcome people from the world to visit China. Uh, you know, they, they really, we, we receive so many positive feedback. And so, so those people are really support our think tank and, uh, and, and appreciate the work we've been doing. Uh, so that's where I think we, we are also, uh, you know, maintain a very good relation with all the peoples in the country. And so that's why we can maintain our think tank autonomy as well uh, to find the issues to, to doing going forward. So is it fair to say that you or your colleagues interact with these entrepreneurs or their colleagues very often, like, you know, very often interaction, high, high frequent. Well, we don't have to really interact with them a lot. We, we have a fundraising uh -huh. uh, department, mm -hmm. so they are specialized in, in fundraising, in talking to those entrepreneurs, those corporate members. Of course, we, we do have uh, meetings, like we have a, a China uh, a Global Entrepreneurial Forum uh, annually, and we invite all those, uh, uh, you know, uh, member, council members and to come and uh, and also we provide a channel for them to talk with uh, uh, different departments uh, on certain policy issues. And, and, but, but more or less, we are, we are also improving this, uh, all the, uh, the better environment. For example, we promote globalization, which they benefit. We promote openness. They really find that is absolutely important. We promote reform. Uh, they are really, we, so we have really value-wise. We, we, we share a lot of their value. They share a lot of our values. And also, I'm, I'm, I have to say, that the Chinese entrepreneurs now are realizing uh, doing the charity work, not just uh, uh, supporting the you know, poor village children to have a better school, but also supporting a think tank to have a better education policy. That's also you know, a charity work. So that really has getting more... Uh, widely accepted now, so we have actually better uh, uh, find Chinas uh, from those entrepreneurs who support us. So it's a truly international uh, model of running a think tank in China. I'm glad that CCG's practice and work has made things work out. And we are not only appreciated by you know, people inside China, but also appreciated by people outside China, and particularly the international community, and working with all the think tanks, all the major forums, and all the, all the government. Uh, we would we, be meeting 
uh, they all appreciate the work CCG has done. Yeah, and I hope like my, more people can know about what CCG has done because they're all great things. And uh, you seem to be constantly on the go. Uh, I'm just curious, how much time do you spend on your work like every day or week? Do you have like a typical day to you can share with us or is your everyday just different? And how do you maintain your energy and motivation? Well, we've we got a very uh, pretty uh, uh, busy day. You know, uh, there's a lot of work we've been doing. Uh, uh, for example, I, I can give you an example. Uh, one of the typical day last week, for example, last week we uh, there's a uh, you know in the morning we had the, we had the meetings uh, uh, you know quite uh, you know office meeting we have visitors uh, from different countries uh, uh, and uh, for example we receive a large delegate from Australia uh, also Australia Ch- uh, China Chamber of Commerce Australia Global Foundation. And Australian ambassador to to, to, to to Beijing, so we hosted the roundtable in in our office here. I mean, last week, and 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 then and then there's another day we had a, a event uh, which is very very hectic. We have uh, there's one afternoon that I had to go four event uh, four events four events. four meetings for, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and and then I, I had this. Uh, uh, you know, there's there's uh, they just uh, China International Publishing House has set up a international uh, orchard award, Lanhua Orchard Award, and I was the I was the evaluating members, and I spent half day you know marking all those uh, candidates, very famous people around the world, uh, that, that 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 they they are they are building up this new award, but I I can't uh, uh, I can't go to the dinner, and then that evening I, I was invited by South Africa. Ambassador to celebrate China South Africa for uh, 25 years uh, of, of of the diplomatic relations. So I went to uh, Kambingsi Hotel to uh, in Beijing to really attending this uh, uh, celebration event and meet the uh, South African ambassador and many ambassadors there. And after that, I have to rush to the German center in Beijing. Then the German uh, direct general of the German Inter- Environment Protection Agency was in Beijing giving a talk that evening. Uh, I was enlisted as one of discussing with them. So we, we talked with, uh, with him and uh, we meet him. Uh, so so, so I, I went that event and, and then later on went back home. CCG and ESPY and another European think tank, three think tanks, formed an online a webinar and, and symposium on China after COVID, China-EU relations. So we had the people from from European think tanks, from you know myself from China, which is uh, China is among the three think tanks co-host this event. So I have to give us some talk there until very late in the you know eleven o'clock uh, something like ten thirty here. So so you can see uh, very the, intense. Yeah, very intense. I have to run four places in one evening. I, when I get out of the China International Hotel as this evaluation committee. It's already six o'clock. I rushed to Kambisti. Is the traffic good? Before, before seven, <laughs> you know, I spent half hour there. I went to the German uh, Environment um, um, Agency uh, minister, you know, s- seminar uh, for another uh, half hour, uh, you know, one hour, and then went back home for this webinar for another uh, an hour and a half. So, so it's quite intense. China CCG is all, all often uh, because. Uh, Sorted after because we have to be there sometimes. And uh, I also noticed that in February this year, the U.S. media out- outlet Semaphore mm-hmm. and CCG launched the China and Global Business Platform with events in Beijing and New York, and the coverage across CCG's digital channels for global business leaders seeking a way forward. 
aim the growing costs in the U.S. for economic decoupling from China and China's parallel pursuit of economic self-reliance. Uh, the, the, the inaugural China Global Business Events will take place in Beijing on October 17th to 19th, preceded by an initial convening this June in New York City. So how is the preparation going with these events? Are there any other key work arrangements for CCG this year that you can introduce and share with our audience? Yeah, yeah. no, no, thank you. That's a, a good point, too, because... Uh, because we felt, you know, U.S. and China are two largest economy, and uh, we have uh, so many complementary, uh, you know, uh, business relations. And U.S. is always the pioneer in innovation and uh, uh, science and technology, and also financial uh, uh, capability. U.S. is the number one uh, in the world, and so there's many things China can learn. So I think it's important to maintain this business-to-business relationship. That's why this semaphore group which is a very new media that founded by a former CEO of Bloomberg Media, uh, uh, Justin Smith, which is a good friend. And uh, so, so I invited him to come to Beijing in February. We actually you know, worked uh, together. Uh, I met him during my visit to U.S. last Ju- July. You know, it's one of the outcome of our, our <laughs> eye-speaking visit during the pandemic. So we come to an understanding we should really promote in the business exchanges between China and U.S., after all, there's, there's already 70,000 U.S. companies set up in China, generating 700 billion revenues every year. Uh, we shouldn't let that uh, you know, really decoupled. We should really continue to work together and, uh, because it's benefiting you know, both countries. And uh, so, so I think we ha- what we have come to understand is that we will have this uh, China and, uh, and the Global Business Forum and uh, we'll be organized by Semaphore and CCG and we're going to invite business, you know, people, company around the world, particularly from U.S. and China, to really have a, a conference together to find out opportunities to, uh, you know, promote the exchanges and strengthen the cooperation, which is, I think, beneficial to the, to the world. And uh, so, so the meeting will be uh, conducted this year on October uh, 17, 18 in Beijing. I think in June it was, it was too, too soon that we had, a, we had online consultations, but but now we, we are having the real thing in Beijing uh, in uh, October, uh, July uh, 17 and October 17 and 18. So I think it's very good, you know, that we have more business coming. For example, on China Development Forum that we just held in March, we had over uh, a dozen U.S. CEO come, 17 global CEO come to China. And then when President Macron come, we have a, a 50 European CEO come. Uh, when the President of Brazil come, we had 250 business people come. So you can see the growing interest of, of international community on China. So it's probably a good time for U.S. and, you know, SAMFO and China, CCG, that we organize something to facilitate these global business exchanges. So I felt that this is also another thing that we should not separate. We should really, uh, you know, work together. Although we have a lot of differences, we have a lot of misunderstanding, but let's, you know, business language is really understood by, by all the business people. And then that's really the, the bad rock of all the relationship we have. We should continue that and benefit in the uh, developing world, benefit in the whole you know, developing process and uh, avoid misunderstanding and avoid... Uh, I think I still believe the economic globalization is the best uh, uh, you know, uh, vehicle to, to prevent the military globalization. You know, we, it's, it's really important that we strengthen the economic globalization, cooperation, and, and have a healthy Olympic-style competition and uh, rather than very 
uh, drastic, uh, you know, uh, rivalry competition. So, so, so I think this is important that that we, we, we have the chance to work with international organizations like that. Uh, and also we, we also work with UN, we work with World Bank. We actually hosted the World Bank to release their global uh, economic outlook report uh, three years in a row during the pandemic. They, they issued that uh, twice a year. The, the only issue in Washington and then the other issue is online with CCG in Beijing. Only two issues. So, so we've been doing that for the last uh, uh, three years. So, so there's many international organizations we work with. We hope that our conference in October will be a successful one. And uh, before I let you go, we invite every guest of our podcast to recommend something to our listeners. It can be a book, a movie, a TV series, a podcast, or even a video game. I'm sure you have lots of things, books to recommend for us. So do any specific recommendation for us today, like if a book or... Yeah, no, I'd love to, I'd love to recommend maybe two books. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is this, so, this is a global dialogue? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that is a free download, actually. You know, uh, and the dialogue co- collected, uh, you know, over 15, you know, heavy, you know, weight uh, uh, international, uh, you know, opinion leaders, articles, papers, and and you know, dialogue, particularly the dialogue I had with them, and uh, it's it's really a good reading between such dynamic China U.S. China outside relations. Another book is just a book we published last last week. Uh, it's uh, uh, soft power and great power uh, competition that we edited for uh, Professor Joseph Nye, and he actually had a, a number of his uh, recent essays, uh, op-eds, op- and uh, papers, and speeches uh, that that collected into this book. And also, I wrote a preface for that in the Chinese version, but also in the English version, uh, the first article is, is the dialogue he had with me a, a year ago. Uh, so, so those two books are really most recent, and I would really highly recommend. Thank you, thank you. I will take some time to read that. And uh, thank you so much for taking time to have this podcast show with me. I really appreciate your work, the CCG's work in helping in the bridge China and the rest of the world. And I hope your next trip bridging the China and the rest of the world can be very smooth. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for your interview. Thank you. Thank you. The Ginger River Radio Podcast is a part of the GR Media Outlet. Our show is produced and edited by me, Jiang Jiang, Yu Liaojie from Shanghai International Studies University, and Jia Yuxuan from Beijing Foreign Studies University. For cooperation, investing, or feedback, email me directly at jiangjiang, J-I-A-N-G-J-I-A-N-G, at gingerriver.com, or just give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We would be delighted if you would recommend our podcast or newsletter to others if you find it helpful. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Take care.